In today's episode, I'm going to share a handful of lessons that I learned while I was floating on a gigantic wad of iron in the open sea. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the do zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. High expectations are the key to everything. Sam Walton. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas, so glad to have you. Hey, if you haven't done it yet, make sure that you subscribe, tell a friend about the Do Zone podcast. We want to make sure that everybody out there is empowered to get stuff done. Also, if you haven't checked it out, I would love it if you would take the Do Zone DNA. It is a proprietary personality assessment developed by me uh, that will show you how you prefer to get stuff done and so you can build the world around you for optimal peak performance. Once again, that's the Do Zone DNA. You can go and learn more about that at dozonedna.com. So I want to talk to you today about the dystopian dream boat, okay? I just got off the dystopian dream boat And it was one of the most incredible, enlightening, and frustrating, and depressing, and unhealthy, but also healthy experiences I've ever had in my life. And I just have to talk about it. So uh, I've already told some versions of this story since getting off the boat Uh, And so I figured I would go ahead and officially document the official story so that I don't have to keep telling it. I can just refer people to my podcast episode. Uh, So here's how it goes. Um, I am part of a mastermind called Apex. And at one point uh, when we were at a meeting, uh, there was this uh, fancy looking British guy that showed up and his name was Adam Lyons. And I was immediately captivated captivated by Adam. Uh, He was just a truly uh, interesting character uh, in all aspects. I loved the way that his brain worked. Uh, I loved the way that he thought. I loved how methodical and clear he was. I loved the stories that he told. And I knew immediately that I wanted to find a way to get into this guy's orbit. And so... Uh, I was very intentional about reaching out to him and saying, hey, I really appreciated you, Uh, would love to learn more about you. Uh, I got onto his text messaging list, and uh, anytime he would say some interesting stuff, I would reply back. And eventually, uh, he sent a text out to that list that said, hey, I'm going to the Austin Zoo uh, with uh, Loretta Bruning, who is my biochem mentor. And he had done a presentation about that at one of the events. And this was like the second or third time I'd seen him. And I was like, yep, I'm in. Because I'm really fascinated by uh, the topic. It's about hormonal responses, human beings and their basal instinctive hormonal responses to stress. And so he did a talk about that. And then he, and then he mentioned, I'm bringing my mentor to the Austin Zoo. And she's going to walk around and tell everybody 
uh, you know, how the animals behave and how it's related to their hormonal responses. So I was like, yep, sign me up, take my money. Uh, and so I showed up to that and I got that experience and it was really cool. We spent all day there. It was just amazing content, just an amazing group of people. And that was kind of my first introduction to his world. And well, a few weeks later, I got an invitation to join him on uh, what he calls his working vacation, which is a uh, a business mastermind on a cruise ship. And I'm like, well, that's kind of fascinating. Uh, at no point in my life did I ever have any interest in getting on a cruise for any reason whatsoever. Not the way that I like to travel. Um, just doesn't seem interesting to me. Doesn't I don't know that I fit the demographic, but... He offered a really compelling reason to say yes because you get to spend an entire week with a, uh, with a guy that uh, that is probably one of the most intelligent business minds in the world on the planet right now, and you basically have unlimited access. And there's going to be about a dozen other entrepreneurs, and we're all going to be trapped on a boat together for a week. All right, cool. Uh, so I went ahead and said yes, even though I wasn't like super fan of the boat. Now I will tell you this. Uh, this story is not necessarily about my mastermind experience, which was tremendous, transformational. I went in with a business idea that I felt was pretty well developed. And within five minutes, he turned it on its head. And uh, I have a completely different direction to go that is extremely compelling. Now, I've shared it with several people and I've gotten lots of feedback. So it was a great experience. Highly recommend it. But that is a conversation for another day, uh, because what I want to talk about right now is the dystopian dreamboat. Okay, now I want to set the scene. Uh, this was a cruise that left. Uh, we were on Royal Caribbean, and the name of the boat was called the Oasis of the Seas. And we left on Sunday afternoon, and the destinations were uh, what they call Perfect Day at Coco Cay. Uh, which is an island in the Bahamas that the cruise line actually owns. So it was basically a water park on an island. Uh, that was the whole thing. And then we docked in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And uh, we didn't get to see much of Puerto Rico because uh, we spent most of the day uh, visiting one of, uh, one of his uh, very successful uh, high-powered marketing friends at his penthouse looking over the ocean. And we got a clinic from him on how to build our businesses, which was awesome. And then the next day after that, we went to St. Martin or San Martin, uh, depending on which side of the island that you're on. And that was the closest thing to paradise I have ever seen. So those were our stops. And then we spent the next couple of days uh, booking it back to Miami uh, on sea. So I've gotten the mastermind part out of the way. I've gotten the stops out of the way. Now let me talk about the boat. Uh, for those of you who've ever been on a cruise, you probably know this. You've probably seen this, and you probably kind of paid attention to these kinds of things. But for me, at 42 years old, this was my very first experience with any kind of cruise at all, and I had no clue what to expect. And so everything was new, and my eyes were wide open to really understand everything that was happening, both from a business perspective, from the perspective of the cruise line itself, and also from a psychological perspective as far as what is happening to affect, whether positively or negatively, the behavior of the passengers on board. Uh, and so I was 
fascinated. This thing is a giant Petri dish of humanity to really understand what's going on on this boat. You have to understand that there is and probably difficult to quantify amount of data science involved in every single nook and cranny of this boat. There is so much data that goes into every single decision. It's very obvious as long as you open your eyes and you look. So let me share with you the first couple of experiences as I walk onto the dystopian dreamboat. And I'll explain why I keep calling it the dystopian dreamboat in just a minute because I really want you to understand this is our dystopian future, whether you like it or not. And it's probably unavoidable. Okay. But so uh, we, we check passports, we give them our luggage, and we get onto the boat. We walk into the boat and we enter uh, deck five. Uh, which is what they call the promenade. And we walk in there, and it's basically like a fancy food court for a mall. Uh, That's what it kind of looked like when I walked in. The second that we walked in, we were bombarded with people holding clipboards, offering us some sort of discounted package for whatever thing. Now, I didn't do a whole lot of research beforehand, so I really didn't know what I was supposed to be doing or getting or paying for, what was included, Uh, I didn't even book the ticket. It was booked through a group. So I didn't know much. Um, And so some guy, and they were like swarming like flies, but I was just trying to get my bearings. And so I'm just like, go away, leave me alone. No, I don't want any of that stuff. Let me think. Uh, And so I'm trying to figure it out. And that's when I realized like, okay, well, I don't have much internet. I'm going to need an internet package, I guess. And so I was there. Uh, I I was accompanied. And so there were two of us. And so I had to buy internet for two devices. And that came out to $363 for the week. Okay. All right, you got me there. Now, now mind you, I I paid several thousand dollars for the ticket plus the the accommodations with the mastermind, and, and there was a fee on top of that. And so I'm already in this thing pretty deep. 363 bucks for internet for one week. All right. Fine, fine. You got me. Uh, and then, uh, and there's just like all this calamity, everybody's standing in line, all the deals are happening today and today only you can get a one-time discount of whatever. Uh, and then we went over and like, I like drinking soda, uh, sometimes like a diet soda. Cause I don't really drink coffee and that's the only way that I get caffeine when I need some caffeine. And so I'm like, okay, there's like a soda package and then there's an alcohol package that you can buy. And so the alcohol package was some ungodly amount of money. Uh, for two people, it was, it was $800 per person for, <laughs> for alcohol. And then they were offering a special where if you buy one, you get one half off. So it came out to like 1200 bucks for alcohol for two people for a week. And, and I'm like, no, nah, man, that's way too much. And then I started thinking about it and I started doing some math. The drinks were about like $14 a piece. Plus, there was an obligatory tip they added on to it. So it was like $15, $16 per drink. And I'm like, well, how many drinks is that? I don't know. That's like 80 drinks. Let's see. How many drinks do we need per day to go over that? And it was just like it got to be too much. I'm like, all right, screw it. I'll just get this stupid alcohol package, 1200 bucks. So within an hour of being on this boat, I had spent an additional $1,500 just so I could access the internet and have a drink every once in a while. <laughs> All right. Touche. 
Touche, Royal Caribbean. You got me there. All right, no problem. Uh, and I managed to avoid, for the most part, I managed to avoid spending too much more money while on the boat, um, although I was not impervious to it. Uh, the food was included, uh, and uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner included all you can eat, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, there were a couple of restaurants where you could spend some money, and I did go there one time, um, and it was like, I don't know, 130 bucks for two people. It's pretty expensive, and it was pretty much a subpar meal. Uh, and then the excursions, obviously, you can spend whatever money there. Uh, but I managed to keep that pretty light. So why was this the dystopian dream boat? Now, here's where it gets weird, okay? Because I'm on this boat, and I'm here for a very specific purpose. I don't enjoy boats. Uh, I don't like cruises all that much. I didn't really care for that part of the experience. I was there for the people and for the mastermind. Um, the, the islands and the getaways and all that was just kind of a bonus. And so definitely worth the trip. But here's what I started noticing is uh, we went to dinner the first night. We got on the boat in the afternoon. We, we left the promenade and uh, we get up and we walk around the top. And we get down and we get into dinner. Dinner's at 5.30. We sit down in this huge, like, white linen dining hall. Um, the All the servers are dressed up to the nines. Um, and there's just probably 2,500 people eating at once. Um, there's about 5,000 people on the boat. So there's, like, half the people at 5.30 and half the people at 8. So we sit down and they give us a menu. And on the menu... The top half of the menu changes daily. The bottom half of the menu is what they call classics. Same stuff, always available every day. And that's where it starts to get weird, okay? Because basically somebody comes around to serve us and they say, what would you like uh, for your appetizer, your meal, and your dessert? You order it all at once. And then you start to figure out because you start. everybody starts kind of pushing their limits a little bit. They're like, well, I don't know. That steak looks pretty good, but I think I, I'm also interested in the chicken. And then the server says, would you like me to bring you both? <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, of course I would like you to bring me both. And then you're looking at the desserts and you see like a molten chocolate cake and you see the creme brulee and you see like the baked Alaska or whatever. And you're like, you know, man, I love all of those. And the server's like, well, why don't you just get all three of them? Would you like multiple appetizers? It doesn't matter. Go ahead. And and you don't realize this until like halfway through the week, but you start kind of like mounting things up. There was a lady on the trip with us um, who's very, very thin uh, and very being very conscious about, you know, her alcohol intake and her diet and all these things. But I don't remember. We always ate dinner together. I don't remember a single dinner where she didn't get at least like three appetizers. <laughs> and And so the food situation was... Uh, basically, literally all you can eat, you could order anything on the menu and everything on the menu, and they would just bring it to you nonstop until you tell them that you don't want any more. And I thought that was really awesome for like a day uh, until I realized that my body adjusted to it immediately. And it was like, oh, well, 
getting ready for dinner. It's time to throw down. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would get the steak and I was like, hey, can you bring me some French fries? Uh, hey, could I get, uh, you know, an extra salad? Can you bring me that soup too? Man, you know what? I would love these three desserts. Could you just bring all three of them? And also, would you mind putting some ice cream on top of that for me? And so, like, this kept going on and on and on. And by, this breakfast was a buffet, all you can eat. I would eat a minimum of like two full breakfasts. And then after I ate the two full breakfasts, I would go back and get some French toast and waffles and I would put some chocolate syrup on there. And man, there was donuts and pudding and all of this too. (laughs) Now, I did not drink alcohol during the day because we were meeting and doing business stuff. But dinner time, it's time to drink. I had a couple drinks with dinner. And then after dinner, there's not a whole lot to do. And so I drank some more. And I drank and I drank and I drank. And so if you, and then after you drink for a while and you're getting tired, uh, you've drank a lot and there's a pizza place in the promenade called Sorrento's. And so after you've drank and you've eaten way too much for breakfast and lunch and dinner, then you go and you stand in line and you can ask this, this nice lady in the pizza place for an entire pizza and she'll just give you an entire pizza and you can eat all of that too. <laughs> so I did that pretty much every night, well, like half. Uh, I added it up, and it came out to, uh, I'm estimating here, but somewhere between seven and 9,000 calories per day that I was intaking on the boat in the form of food and alcohol. Seven to 9,000 calories per day, okay? And I, I got, I'm not embarrassed to say this, but I gained 10 pounds in eight days, 10 pounds in eight days. Um, and so I'm working on, this was a couple of days ago that I got back. So I'm working on getting back to normal now, but I gained 10 pounds in eight days. Why am I telling you all of this? Okay. Because every time I walked into the place that served the meals and there were different places, when I walked in for breakfast, they were playing a certain kind of music that made you feel really happy and comfortable. Go ahead, have some more. It's okay. Every time I walked into the dining hall and I sat down, the lighting was just right. The mood and the temperature was just right. The food was just good enough to where you would enjoy it and probably not eat too much more. But it wasn't so good that it would you would notice that it was of exceptional quality. Nothing was too salty. Nothing was too sweet. Everything was just like right down the middle. Uh, Anytime you would go to the buffet for breakfast or lunch, there was this gorgeous, just as far as you could see, dessert bar. And everything was just beautiful. And it looked like paradise. Utopia, if you will. Or maybe dystopia. Because... Nothing actually was like a really amazingly tasty. It wasn't all all that good. It just looked nice. And it wasn't very sweet. It wasn't very salty. Uh, And I started realizing towards the end that being on a cruise ship is basically Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can't never leave. (laughs) They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. That's life on a cruise. It is the dystopian dream. And I will tell you this, 
the highlight of the trip by far, and I can't believe that I would ever say this, but the highlight of the trip by a ton was the service staff. Every single time you would interact with somebody on the service staff, whether it be somebody cleaning the floor, picking up towels, serving your food, replacing the food at the bar, or anything else, the bartenders, they would stop and they would turn and they would look you in the eye and they would smile and they would say, hello, how are you doing? And they would always have a good uh, story to tell or a joke. They would spend an unlimited amount of time with you if you wanted to sit there and talk. None of them were from the United States. They were all from uh, very impoverished countries in Africa and uh, Southeast Asia and those types of places. They all spoke perfect English. Uh, I didn't see any Americans on the service staff. Uh, and But they were so kind, so, so kind. And I started adding it up. Everything on this boat is designed to give, make you feel like an absolute king. And anytime that happens, when, you're, when you watch movies about this, with, about dystopian futures, what are they always trying to do to the masses? What do they do to distract thousands, millions of people to keep their eyes glued to one thing while they're doing something else that's kind of nefarious. Think about the Hunger Games. Think about any movie that's about the future where it's kind of this world where let's keep the masses fat and drunk and happy while we go do our evil bidding. And that's why the boat became the dystopian dream boat. Because the staff was incredible. Cannot say enough good things about the staff. But they did that to make sure that you know that you're welcome and, you're, and your status is elevated and you are the most important person on this boat. And all of the food, it looked amazing, but it kind of tasted okay. They wanted to make sure that you could eat as much as you want, but we're not going to spend too much money on this, okay? Oh, it's just the illusion of happiness because we want you to feel like a king. Why? Why do we want you to feel like a king? Well, let's talk about a couple of reasons why you want somebody to think about what an amazing experience you're having when maybe it's not quite all that it's cracked up to be. First of all, boats move slow, okay? Uh, getting off the boat and going to these islands was amazing. But it took for hell and ever to get there. I could have flown there in like an hour. You know, it's not that far away. Like the Bahamas is like 75 miles off the coast of Miami. It took us almost a day to get there. Like I could, I could ride a speedboat there in an hour and a half. And so it takes a long time. It's very slow. Uh, it's kind of uncomfortable. There's a lot to do but not really. It's kind of like the illusion of a lot to do. Nothing lasted longer than an hour. They had these structured activities like, hey, you can go play dodgeball. Now dodgeball's over. Get away. We're going to do the next thing. And, okay. And, and it was all kind of designed to like, hey, look at all these amazing things you can do. But actually, just, just go sit in the pool and get drunk. It'll be fine. What they wanted is they wanted to take your mind off of the fact that you're on this boat. This boat is burning 
thousands of tons of dirty, cheap fuel and polluting the environment. I looked this up after it got off because I was curious. But after you are more than three and a half miles off of any U.S. coast, there are no restrictions on dumping human waste into the ocean. And so basically what they do is, you know, there's 5,000 people on a boat and they're overfeeding them constantly. You know, you got you to gotta drop a deuce every once in a while. If you multiply that by 5,000, that's a lot of turds, okay? And all those turds, they're going right into the ocean. And then all of that food that you don't eat, where you're sitting there and you get three plates full and you only eat part of it, they take all of that food waste and they grind it up with water and they turn it into this goo and they pump that out into the ocean and they call it, jokingly, fish food. Gross. <laughs> not surprisingly, fish are not supposed to be eating that kind of food, okay? Uh, so that's happening and they don't want you to see that and they don't want you to think about it. Now, I'm not making any political or environmental statements here. I'm just saying there's a reason that they distract you and there's a reason that this is the dystopian dreamboat. But the most important thing is this is a money-making machine. A money-making machine, okay? Like, literally, I just told you, I opened up this episode by saying within 30 minutes of being on this boat, they upsold me $1,500. I didn't want to spend anything else. I spent a ton of money just to get on the boat and be a part of this. I was not expecting that. And I ended up spending even more money, just not another 1500 bucks. But I did that by choice because I pulled out some cash on the last day to tip the service staff because they were so incredible. I mean, some of the best human beings I've ever met, ever. They just, they just exuded love and confidence. And, you know, I got these little origami towel animals in my room. And, you know, there were inside jokes with the, with the dinner service staff because we would see each other every day. And so it was just amazing. But this was an upselling machine. And in the promenade, guess what you would find there? In addition to the Sorrentos and the bars and all of these places, uh, the only other thing that you could buy were Rolexes, fine jewelry, and the next cruise. Those were the main shops in the promenade. A high-end watch that costs five figures to purchase. Jewelry that has a somewhat intangible value, but a gigantic margin. And an opportunity to get a discount on the next, on the next chance that they can engorge you and intoxicate you and put you in the king's chair so that you ha they have another chance of selling you that next expensive thing. And that, to me, is definitely the dystopian dreamboat. And that's really what's going on. Now, I'm not saying that any of that's nefarious. But there were all these little clues along the way that's like, no, here are the things that we want you to do. We just can't come out and say that directly. Uh, one other thing I'll show you, like, uh, as an example, you got unlimited sodas. They give you this little cup, and you can only use this cup. It has some kind of chip in it. 
unlimited sodas, right? Uh, but there's like three soda fountains on the entire boat, and the boat has like 16, 17 decks. And they're hidden, like tucked away. Like the boat was designed to hide the dang thing to where you could almost never find it. Why? Because it was a Coca-Cola machine. And Royal Caribbean, even though they own an island in the Bahamas, which they took us to, where literally every penny we spent on that island went right back to the company, you know what they don't own? They don't own Coca-Cola. And so they stuck that machine off to the side because uh, every time somebody drinks Coke, we got to pay for it. <clears throat> All right, well, let's just stick it over here to where nobody can find it. And let's just give them the stuff that we can make money on. Or let's give them the stuff that doesn't cost that much money. Now, I want you to understand, um, before I get kidnapped and tortured by, like, the Royal Caribbean Mafia or something, I'm not bashing on these guys. They're geniuses. They really have this stuff figured out. I was wholly impressed as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. It was a clinic in how to provide customer service how to provide an incredible experience and how to put somebody in the buying pocket and then put the right offers in front of them to give the best opportunity to capitalize on that, uh, on that investment. And so it was really incredible, but it was also, I felt a little bit manipulated. Uh, I, I'm probably still recovering physically <laughs> from the amount of food that I ate and alcohol that I drank. Uh, and, you know, if it wasn't for that mastermind, I probably would not have enjoyed the experience at all because I don't like being stuck in the same place for like seven days. You know, once you've seen the top deck and once you walked around the promenade once or twice, it's like that takes like 15 minutes. Uh, what are you going to do with the rest of the day? It's kind of like I can't imagine what these guys are doing if they're sitting on the boat all day with no one to hang out with, but, you know, maybe their significant other, and they're just sitting there just getting hammered. Like, obviously, we got to distract you from how boring this is. I get that. Uh, but, man, I can, I can definitely tell you this. If you want to understand how to build a successful business from the ground up, sitting on a cruise, paying attention, and taking notes on every single little thing that they're doing, they have so much data. This is where I'll leave you. I, I got, we got these cards, and the cards had a, uh, an NFC chip. So everywhere you go, you scan the card, and the, the vendor can pulls up a picture of you and also tracks every single thing that you do, everything that you get. Anytime that you, get, uh, you check in for dinner, anytime that you get a drink, they will log that. Anywhere that you go, you scan that. Anytime you're getting on, going off the boat, they scan that. They know exactly where you are at all times. And in fact, I signed a waiver and I read the waiver that said, do we have permission to use our security cameras for facial recognition? So even if you're not scanning this card, they know exactly where you are on the boat at all times because their cameras have logged your face. So that is some serious data. And if you have that kind of data on your customers, you can make a lot of decisions. Now, is it good? Is it ethical? Is it for everybody? I don't know. I'm not making that judgment call. I felt like it was very dystopian. 
not a gigantic fan of the cruise experience, but I am a gigantic fan of the mastermind experience that I had on the cruise, so much so that I would consider pushing past how uh, uncomfortable I was on the boat to go and do it again because of all the things that I got from the mastermind itself. And so I would definitely consider that. But what I want you to walk away with here is if you are not collecting meaningful data on your customers, you really are missing out on opportunities for growth because I guarantee you those Coke machines were hidden for a reason. I guarantee you the amount of food and the quality of that food was very carefully chosen. The fact that it wasn't too salty and not too sweet was very carefully, scientifically chosen so that you would eat and feel good but not eat too much because it didn't taste good enough. The fact that the promenade has high-end shops and stores because you're at sea and they want you to feel like a king and, yeah, you know, you should buy this Rolex. Yeah, you should buy this diamond necklace for your wife. That's all intentional, and it's all based on data that they've collected over years and years and years of sending thousands of people on the same boat back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What can you say about your customers? What do you know about your customers? What data are you collecting so that you can make strategic decisions and improvements in your business based on your customer's behavior? And if your answer is, I don't know, or I don't collect any data, you're going to go out of business, plain and simple. If you want to win, you really have to start paying attention to what your customers want and how they tend to behave and start catering to that and maximizing that and creating the maximum advantage that you can. I hope that's not too controversial of of a statement um, that's going to like ruffle some feathers or anything, but I really feel like the dystopian dreamboat has opened my eyes to the possibilities that exist out there if we will only go and look where nobody else will. That's going to do it for today's episode of The Do Zone. Thank you so much for joining me. If this was an interesting episode to you, I know it's pretty long. Uh, Typically, my solos only last like 12 to 15 minutes, but, you know, I had a lot to say. Uh, But if you like this and uh, you think somebody else would like it, you know, why don't you share it with them? Just send a link right over to them, text it to them, Instagram, uh, Facebook Messenger, uh, you know, telegraph, dictate it out to them, you know, like one dot at a time or something, whatever it is that you want to do. But send this episode to them and make sure that they get a chance to listen to it. Hopefully you found something interesting in it. Hopefully they will as well. While you're at it, to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, I would love it if you would subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Leave a review if you can or if you want to. Uh, And then make sure that uh, you take the Do Zone DNA by going to dozonedna.com. Until next time, hey, go do something. I have a job for you. Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. 
We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at The Do Zone. Also, keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into the do zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? (laughs) Go do something already. See you next time. Mm -hmm.